What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Kelly Evans. We will continue following the big story of the day on Roe v. Wade. But first, let's get a check on these markets where you're seeing a lot of green on the screen behind me. We're actually trying for a positive week for the first time this month. The Dow's up 650 points, a little better than 2% right now. NASDAQ again leading the way with a 2.4% gain. All the sectors are in the green. Financials are leading the way today. Uh, they're up 3.5%. Tech stocks also big in the green. The mega caps, the Semi names actually participating today. The SMH is up three and a half percent, back to two fifteen. Yields, meanwhile, that's where we've seen a lot of action lately. Three twelve or so in the ten years, so kind of in the middle of the range. And let's check on oil, which is actually up about two percent today. Last flirting with about one hundred and six, now about one hundred and seven dollars a barrel. Now, we've seen a sharp reversal lately in several key market ratings on inflation, especially after the Fed hiked rates by 75 basis points last week. Let's run through it, starting with the commodity ETF dropping 14% month to date. Inflation expectations also dropping noticeably this month. Same story with the 10-year Treasury, like we just said, got all the way back to 3%, just above that right now. Is it a victory sign or is it a warning sign for the Fed and for the markets? And does it change where you should invest? Joining us now is Kim Forrest, the chief investment officer at Boca Capital Partners. Kim, welcome. In a nutshell, the energy trade, is it dead and buried here? Um, I don't think so, but I do think it's probably not going to dominate an investor's life like it did in 2011. Right. So that being the case, maybe 2011 or for energy, the the first several months of 2022, there was, I think, at one point, a 70 basis point spread between energy being up 40 percent and tech and some consumer discretionary names being down 30 percent. Where do you think we're going from here? Are we now going to see a major inflection point? You know, I'm hoping so because I I'm an equity analyst at heart, and we are a hopeful tribe. What can I say? But um, in all sincerity, it looks like um, demand destruction is happening. People are probably using less gas. That's what high prices do. But the economy remains oddly strong, and I'm seeing it in my local Pittsburgh market, where small businesses can't seem to get enough people, so they have to reduce hours. If they could get more people. They could probably stay open longer and, you know, employ people and just get that economy going. So this is the weirdest economy I think we've ever seen in our entire lives. The weirdest economy we've ever seen. I think a lot of people would echo that. We look at the numbers just today. Consumer sentiment at a fresh record low, just horrible, horrible readings. And yet at the same time, like you said, we have had a super strong labor market. Inflation has been a big part of that. So talk to me about the kind of stocks that you think are safe here, uh, the kind of names that could benefit from whatever the environment is that we're describing right now. Sure. Where you have to define what safe is. And by this, I mean, your stocks are going to go up and down just like the ocean does, right? You can't prevent that. But the ones that I think you're going to benefit for uh, from 
this economy have two different things. They are safe in the respect that they have good management, great balance sheets, and a track record of um, uh, product creation, right? So we know that they're a real business. But the second thing, and more importantly, don't just buy stuff that makes you feel good and safe. You need a, a company that has an avenue for growth because ultimately that is what Wall Street rewards. It's growth. So what I'm proffering is growth at a reasonable price. GARP. Yes, GARP, the ever famous. All right. You have some specific names here like Coca-Cola, UPS. Why do you like these stocks? Well, for very different reasons. Coca-Cola is expanding its product line and it's into alcohol. That's kind of new for them. They said they would never do it. And here we are. New management, right? That's what always shakes it up. And in UPS, they also have new management where the CEO fired unprofitable customers. I love that. So um, she's looking to drive not just revenue, but actual earnings. And I think that's the way to go in that industry. So both of these companies have avenues for growth, which is important, but they are rock solid businesses. All right. And what about NetApp? Well, NetApp, you know, I love tech, right? And NetApp has this kind of weird living in between both worlds of on-premises data storage. That's what they do. Um, but they've always played nice with others because they were the number two data storage provider. So that number two position has actually given them a strength in people moving or enterprise moving data to the cloud. And so I think they're uniquely positioned for growth. Not everything is going to end up on Snowflake or AWS or um, Amazon or um, sorry, Microsoft Azure. Some needs to be on premises. And I think NetApp has a good um, story to tell that they've always worked in a hybrid world. All right. Do you want to, Kim, leave us with a parting comment? If people just say to you, what, what's your feel now that we've had this massive reset in equity valuations and prices? Again, as I mentioned, a reset in some of these inflationary readings, some signs of a slowdown in the economy, but not, not frankly all that many. What's your gut telling you about the investing environment right now? Sure. You're going to have to be brave, but have some faith in the companies that you've picked. These aren't lottery tickets. These are businesses that show up every day to work for their um, shareholders, their employees, their community, and their customers. Have a little faith. All right. Well said. Uh, a rallying cry. Kim Forrest, always great to have you. Thanks. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's turn now to what we're calling the week that was in housing. Seems like we need a lot of breaking down the data as we work through what's also a pretty weird time in this market. So from existing home sales to home builder earnings and the rise of arms, a lot has happened in the past few days. What is the picture it's painting? Let's get to Diana Olick with the breakdown with the home builders. Diana, up 3% today. Yeah, that's right. And that's because what I want to start with, which is the latest news today on sales of newly built homes, up nearly 11% in May from April, though still about 6% below May of last year. These numbers are based on contracts signed in May, and that was before the most recent spike in mortgage rates. Some buyers may have rushed in, worried that rates would have moved even higher. Also, these buyers would have locked their rates a few months earlier. Now, I say that because we got earnings releases this week from both Lennar and KB Home, and Lennar chairman said that he saw a real turnaround in buyer demand just at the start of June. Stuart Miller said the effect of both high prices and higher interest rates are causing buyers to, quote, 
pause and reconsider. Now, KB Homes CEO Jeff Metzger was less bearish. He said simply that sales rates are moderating from the recent exceptional levels. Now, the difference in KB is that they build have a build-to-order model, so buyers can work to reduce costs, and KB isn't left with a huge backlog of unsold homes. Now I want to move to existing homes. They Sales of them fell again in May. Those numbers are based on closings, so those are contracts that were signed in April when rates were significantly lower. Weakness there is both affordability and lack of supply. Now the number of homes on the market is increasing, up now 27% from a year ago, but it is still half of pre-pandemic levels. And finally, we get to mortgage rates, which actually pulled back a little bit this week. The average rate on the 30-year fix now back under 6% at 5.85. Again, still the rate is nearly double what it was six months ago, and combined with inflation, it's just making it harder to afford just about everything, and that will likely continue to cool the market. And Kelly, as you said, we did see that jump in adjustable rate loans because they do offer lower rates. And to me, the most stunning fact about the housing industry right now remains the one you and I have talked about a lot. It's the P.E. ratio, because to see two and a half and three and four times tells you we're at a historic juncture for investors where either these stocks are about to collapse by, I don't know, 90 percent. I mean, to get back to historical valuations or they're the buy of a lifetime. And it just seems to be one of these really unique moments that uh, an industry, a sector would ever offer. And um, I know many people on both sides of the trade. Yeah, both sides of that trade. But I would just note that the health of these home builders is pretty good. Even when Stuart Miller was saying that he expected sales to come down and that this was a pause and reconsider, a real U-turn in the market, he also said the margins were very strong at Lennar. They are well prepared. He actually kind of set up the we're battening down the hatches scenario, but we're ready. This is nothing like what the builders saw back in the last crash when they were not prepared for this and when the fundamentals of housing were not as strong. And that's what I keep arguing is that while we are are seeing this cooling off, the fundamentals of housing demand are still strong. Absolutely. All right, Diana, thank you for now. The week that was in housing. Up next, we'll get the corporate responses from healthcare and tech, along with some other industries, to today's historic Supreme Court decision that overturned Roe v. Wade. There's a live look in front of the Supreme Court. The exchange is back in a moment. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome back, everybody. Back to the big corporate story of the day. The Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. That leaves states in charge of abortion policy with widely differing approaches. And we've already heard from corporate America. Our Bertha Coombs has the reaction from the healthcare world. Steve Kovac with the reaction from the ever vocal big tech. Bertha, let's begin with you. 
Kelly, this is going to create basically a patchwork of, of, of laws and benefits laws for providers, for health insurers, and for large employers. We've heard already from United Health Group this morning that says it is studying decision and will have a uh, comment soon. We've heard from CVS Health that says it is going to work with employers and work with consumers and it is going to provide access to travel to be able to get legal abortion for its own employees. With half states likely banning uh, insurers from covering abortion within their borders through Medicaid plans, Obamacare exchange plans and fully insured employer plans used by local firms, it's going to be tough, particularly for smaller employers. I do think it's going to be complicated. I do think we're going to have to address it as a company and our benefits packages will need to adjust. Uh, we are, you know, everyone I think in this space is looking at, you know, do we provide travel benefits if that's, you know, a requirement. And again, it's back listening to your customer and your employees. And um, I'm committed to listening to my employees and abiding by state legislation. And so I'll find something in the middle there. That was CEO of Walgreens, Ross Brewer, speaking to me yesterday here at the Aspen Institute's Aspen Health uh, Festival. One of the things that this is going to impact, Kelly, is going to be the telehealth providers as well, because more than half of abortions now are performed medically. So a lot of times a person might go to a telehealth advisor or go to their, their provider and they get a prescription. So the, the pharmacies are also impacted by this as to where they'll be able to dispense those pre prescriptions for what people call the morning after pill. A number of employers have already said they will provide access to travel. So that could include, for example, someone in a state where it's banned, traveling to a state where it is permissible, perhaps doing a telehealth visit, getting a prescription, doing it there very privately, not necessarily a medical procedure. We've also heard from the American Medical Association this morning, which has condemned uh, the ruling and says it will have the back of doctors. Doctors, hospitals and other providers will also be uh, on the hook potentially in some states where they will not be going after the patient who seeks an abortion, but may try to go after providers, perhaps even across state lines. This is certainly an evolving situation. And a lot of companies, even though they've been looking at this, Kelly, for the last two months, are still evaluating just what the legal options are. What about large companies that are self-insured, Bertha? They have the most leeway. So if you are a small company, most likely you will have a fully insured plan from an insurer, and that is going to be subject to state rules. Large insurers under the Employment Retirement Income Security Act, known as ERISA, they have more leeway because they have national uh, rules that they can apply for their benefits. But those rules do not allow them to break the law. So right. if a procedure is illegal, in a state, they can't do it within that state, which is why many are looking at travel options. I've spoken to some benefits managers who say some companies are trying to sort of split the difference. They might only provide a, some sort of stipend for travel and not cover the benefit in their benefit plan. Hmm. Others are doing both, providing travel and covering the benefit in their benefit plan where it is legal. All right, Bertha, thank you very much for that rundown. Our Bertha Coombs. Let's turn to Steve Kovac now with the very latest from the world of tech. What are you hearing, Steve?
Yeah, Kelly, responses are coming in from tech companies and tech executives. Let's start with Meta's outgoing COO, Sheryl Sandberg, taking a personal tone and sharing a story about a family friend who had to leave the country for an abortion before Roe. Uh, Sandberg also saying, quote, the Supreme Court's ruling jeopardizes the health and lives of millions of girls and women across the country. It threatens to undo the progress women have made in the workplace and to strip women of economic power. It will make it harder for women to achieve their dreams and it will disproportionately impact women with the fewest resources. Meta also telling us it will provide resources for employees who need to travel for reproductive care. Meanwhile, Bill Gates on Twitter calling this, quote, a sad day and a, quote, unjust, unacceptable setback. And then there's dating company Bumble, which is actually headquartered in Texas, which just put their abortion ban into effect today. Uh, Bumble saying it will donate to the ACLU of Texas and Planned Parenthood, and additionally to financially supporting employees who are in need of that reproductive care out of state. And other companies echoing uh, similar sentiments that Bertha was talking about, telling us they will uh, uh, do the same by providing that financial assistance. And those include companies like Box and PayPal and Block. And then there is Yelp CEO Jeremy Stoppelman telling us in a statement, business leaders need to push for abortion rights reg legislation, saying, quote, business leaders must step up to support the health and safety of employees by speaking, speaking out against the wave of abortion bans that will be triggered as a result of this decision and call on Congress to codify Roe into law. Kelly. Yeah, at the same time, I think the CEO of CVS put it well when she said she's trying to strike that balance between what do her employees want and need here uh, and trying to figure that out. Right. Steve, thanks very much. Our Steve Kovac reporting. And we'll continue to bring you all the headlines as we get them in from the corporate world today. Amalgamated Bank CEO Priscilla Sims Brown will join Closing Bell at 3.20 p.m. Eastern. Amalgamated City and J.P. Morgan are three banks that have come out publicly to say they'll cover abortion travel costs. That interview today at 3.20 Eastern time. Still ahead, Revlon, the first first household name to file for bankruptcy in some time. But retail more broadly could be on the brink for a wave of such filings. We will tell you where and why. Plus, inflation is hitting inventories and the ripple effects are already being felt around the world. We've got the very latest numbers and whether we could see more shortages this holiday season. As we head to break, a look at the heat map of the Dow 30 with only two names in the red right now. Uh, they include United Health and Verizon. Uh, Salesforce is leading the way today. Boeing having a strong session as well. Stay with us. Pandora makes it easy for you to find your favorite music. Discover new artists and genres by selecting any song or album and we'll make you a personalized station for free. Download on the Apple App Store or Google Play and enjoy the soundtrack to your life. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome back, everybody. Don't look now, but stocks are on pace for their first weekly gain in the past four. With the Dow up 660 points, let's get down to Dominic Chu at the New York Stock Exchange. How's the weather down there, Dom? So the weather is pretty good, and so is the stock market right now. It's sunny skies out here, and there's a lot of positivity with regard to the markets. Now, it's relatively calm with regard to traders, but some do say they got caught maybe just a little off guard 
by just how strong the rally was to start the day and even continuing right now. So watch the closing bell. It's going to be a very eventful one, so to speak. But if you look at the gains, they're broad-based. It's pretty even throughout the course of the day here for just the Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ. You can see all but 2 to 2.5% gains overall for each of the major indices. One place to keep a close eye on is the rip higher in transportation stocks. Now, Carnival, that probably factors into that discussion. So certainly does FedEx. Those results and those stocks really helping to power that Dow Jones transportation stock index. Now, we've seen that kind of near-term downtrend that we've seen over the course of the last few months here. But that tick higher over here is one where people are saying, eh, is it something where we can say this is a, a bottoming process taking place? Or is this just a bear market rally in some of these stocks that are very economically sensitive? So that's one to watch here. And from a stock-specific perspective, you got to catch what's happening right now. It's key parts of the market, specifically the big banks after those stress test results, the Fed giving mostly an all-clear signal for many of the big banks out there, Wells Fargo included, up 7.5%, J.P. Morgan Chase up about 3%, Bank of America up 1%, Citigroup up 3.5%, and Goldman Sachs up 5% as well. So the bank complex in general reacting very positively, starting adding to that bullish, economically sensitive narrative, Kelly, in the markets right now. So it's not just the transports. Watch the banks and big tech as well. I'll send things back over to you. I haven't heard bullish in a while. Dom, thank you very much, our Dominic Chu. Let's get to Tyler Matheson now for a CNN. NBC News update. Tyler. Kelly, thank you very much. Good afternoon, everyone. President Biden addressing the Supreme Court decision that overturned Roe v. Wade this morning. Within the last hour, he called today's decision a, quote, tragic error, pledging to fight any effort to prevent women from traveling out of state to terminate a pregnancy and calling for a federal law protecting abortion rights. This fall, Roe is on the ballot. Personal freedoms are on the ballot. The right to privacy, liberty, equality, they're all on the ballot. Until then, I will do all of my power to protect a woman's right in states where they will face the consequences of today's decision. The top Republican in the Senate has a very different reaction. In a statement, Mitch McConnell praised the court's ruling as, quote, courageous and correct saying it fixed a, quote, terrible legal and moral error. As president, Donald Trump appointed three of the Supreme Court justices who voted to overturn Roe. Today, he tells Fox News the ruling, quote, brings everything back to the states where it has always belonged. And there's another headline coming out of Washington today. The House is voting now to approve the bipartisan gun legislation that passed the Senate yesterday. Uh, that will then send it to President Biden for his signature. Tonight on the news with Shepard Smith, extensive coverage of the high court's abortion ruling and what comes next. Kelly, back to you. I'll see you soon, Tyler. Thanks. Coming up next week is a big one for the staple sector with General Mills, Constellation Brands and Walgreens all reporting. All the stocks are in the green today, but we have those recession fears rising. Should you get into these names ahead of those results? We've got that. And during June, CNBC is celebrating Pride Month and featuring some teammates and contributors. Here is senior executive producer Ray Parisi. No matter who you are or where you're from, personal and professional success is built on a foundation of confidence and self-worth. And for so many LGBTQ youth, that foundation has been cracked by shame, discrimination, and hate. That's why pride is so important. It's visibility, voice, and power. And those are things we should celebrate 365 days a year. 
Welcome back, everybody. The consumer staples sector isn't the one you typically think of when you hear recession. The group is the third best performer this year, but not all staples are created equal. How do we pick through the defensive names, find the quality ones? Let's ask the lady with the top staples picks today and one to avoid. Gina Sanchez is here. She's Chantico Global CEO and a CNBC contributor. All right, Gina, really, really honing in on those those staples today. Your first one is General Mills. This one is a buy for you. It's up 3% this year, which is nice performance in a down market. It's up 5% this week alone. Um, why would you want to chase it? Well, so this is a great, great company. It's it's hitting singles and doubles. You know, growth isn't expected to be huge, 3%, but it is expected to be positive. It's something that they're the kinds of products people continue to buy, but they have a really healthy balance sheet. They're at about 2.9 times the uh, debt to EBITDA compared to an average of 3.5. And right now, you don't want to be exposed to those rising interest rates. And quite frankly, they're at, at their valuation is 17 times, which is just below the this, this sector. Um, so it's really all around a good solid holding just for the heck of it here's my big picture question about the staples today let's just say people start feeling a little more bullish because the feds kind of tamped out some of the worst inflationary pressures and maybe we're starting to get our cyclical cojones back because we're not going into a recession could we see staples underperform broadly speaking in the next leg of this market so you know Possibly, but if you look at the valuation, just from a valuation perspective, Kelly, it's just trading barely above uh, the S&P. Um, if you look at expectations for some of the growth uh, of some of these names, actually, there's still some healthy growth built in there. And, and if you go into a cyclically bullish um, cycle, it's actually even better. And so from that perspective, you can play this both ways. You know, we're looking at some of the defensive yeah. uh, names, but it's it's an interesting space. Yeah, no, I take your point. All right, so let's move on then talk Constellation Brands, which I think of more discretionary than Staples, but uh, this one is up 7% over the past year. Morgan Stanley reiterates it's a top beverage pick for this year. Uh, tell me the attractiveness for you. So now this one actually had a great run during the pandemic. The pandemic had a lot of day drinking. It had a lot of drinking in general. <laughs> Funny, but recessions also cause that. Uh, and so we're still expecting some pretty strong growth, like almost 16, 17 uh, percent growth are, is, is expected next year. But if you look at the operating margins, which if you think about all of the things that could go wrong, it's that inflation is driven by all of this um, commodities uh, inflation rather than the kind of inflation that interest rates hikes tend to uh, tend to address. Then you care about operating margins. And this has a really healthy margin. It's got a 26 percent margin. Wow. That's a pretty big space to be able to deal with um, really persistent inflation. All right. So you like General Mills Constellation Brands, your third pick, which we actually heard from Kim Forrest, top of the hour, your third pick is Coca-Cola. Now, she liked it because of its kind of pivot into the alcohol business. You, We've talked about the body armor acquisition. I don't know if that's a factor for you. Why do you like the name here? So, quite frankly, if you just look at the base product, the expectations for EPS growth in this uh, for this name is 25% next year. Jeez. That is pretty healthy. That's a name that you can flex into, even if we go into a bullish cycle, right? And and you get the, the kicker that they also have about a 26% operating margin. And so you get literally recession-proof and inflation-proof. This is a stock that actually looks really attractive. I mean, it's, it's trading at a premium because of those factors, and you just sort of have to accept that um, because this is a hedge in both directions. But isn't 25% earnings growth for Coca-Cola 
too high? I mean, does that look too aggressive to you? Is there a risk they'd have to take that down? Even if they take it down and you end up with a higher EPS, you're still looking at a really high profit margin. And so that profit margin will still allow you to collect some of that. And so, again, you know, what, what we're evaluating against is what does the balance sheet look like? What does the demand look like going into a potential recession? And how much you know, flexibility do they have in an inflationary environment? Sure. And they've probably tried to demonstrate that they know how to navigate uh, anything you can throw at them at this point. So those are the names that are attractive to you in the yeah. sector. Walgreens, on the other hand, is one you would bail on here. The worst performing consumer staple as well over the past year, and it's down 20%. What's going on here and why isn't it a buy? Well, so everything that I told you we're looking for are exactly the things that Walgreens doesn't have. I mean, this is a this is a stock that has a really, really narrow margin um, and it's really flowing through. You look at the expectations for growth next year there. You know, analysts are expecting a loss next year. If you have this continued pressure, wage pressure um, and or just input cost pressure, if they have trouble dealing with uh, getting inventory, the stock gets hit. And that's the expectation. Now, you could argue at eight times that maybe it's cheap enough that that you could go in um, and hope for the best, but that's not really our strategy. <laughs> right. And I'm surprised that they haven't benefited more. Uh, I mean, that the stock is just being treated the way that it is. What other options? Like, what, is there anything that could happen either in the macro environment or in the sector that would warm you up to them, uh, them or rivals in the space? Well, look, I think, you know, it's it's interesting. One of the spaces that we always look at is sometimes we look for dividend yield. Um, and, and this stock actually does give you dividend yield. And, um, you know, Lido Advisors does look for opportunities there. That's probably the only space where this stock might get some love is because it is actually a yielder. All right. And final word on the markets more broadly, where would you rank Staples kind of sector wise in terms of your preferences here? And do you think we're at some kind of cyclical turning point? You know, I, I don't think we're at a cyclical turning point yet. I actually think that the the rhetoric that's coming out of the, the Fed is quite worrisome. They are attacking an inflationary problem that they cannot have an impact on, um, which is commodities-driven inflation. So we went from all of the supply chain inflation that led to wage inflation. That's working itself through, Kelly, and it's going to work itself through. That's going away. The kind of inflation that is driving inflation today are entirely commodities-based, and there's no amount of, of rate hikes that's going to help that. But if we keep pressing that rate hike pedal, you're going to put us into a recession and we're not going to get the inflationary result until Ukraine is resolved. I just wonder, I mean, the labor market was so tight, right? 11 million job openings, the wage pressures. Is it possible that they have succeeded in, in cooling things down a little? Because no matter what happens with commodity prices, you have a, a labor market shortage to worry about. You do have a labor market shortage to worry about, and I do think that they are actually cooling that. In fact, the, if you look at wage growth, wage growth has already turned a corner, meaning that it's already starting to fall. And remember, everybody who's worried about the 70s, we don't have the same level of unionization um, and contract negotiations, even though you hear about them. It's still a very small part of the labor um, segment. And so this inflation won't get baked into contracts. And that is important because it means that we don't have momentum in that inflation. And, and the numbers are already starting to cool. All right, Gina, we'll leave it there. Always good to see you. Thanks for your time. Gina Sanchez. Thank you, Kelly. 
Coming up, there's a shift in the supply chain. We were just talking about it as inflation changes spending habits, the details and the impact it's already having on the holiday shopping season. We have the supply chain latest next. Welcome back. The shift in consumer spending habits is being reflected in the flow of trade. CNBC has been tracking the supply chain, and according to companies surveyed, current manufacturing orders out of China are reportedly down as much as 20 to 30 percent. CNBC's senior editor, Lorian Loraco, is here on set with me. She's got the very latest. And where are logistics managers seeing this pullback, Lorian? They're seeing the pullback in lumber, in home decor. They're seeing it in furniture and even in the big appliances. Wow. Yeah. And where is this in particular? Does that hit home then? In, 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 terms, in of, terms of the supply chain, we're talking China, maybe Vietnam. Yeah. So in terms of when you're looking at the furniture aspect, that's the, that's the intra-Asia trade relay, which is Vietnam and China and Malaysia. Okay. So tell me more about this. We've seen home construction like lumber, which we know. Is it home appliance system DIY? So it feels like that is where this originated and where it's now spreading from. What, what would be the next shoe to drop? Well, the next shoe to drop is like, are they going to cut back on apparel and footwear, right? But they're not. And that's where the strength and that's where you're seeing the strength. And, you know, I spoke with the National Retail Federation on it, as well as the American Footwear Association saying, are you seeing this pullback? Or, you know, my folks are not seeing it in the supply chain. They said, no, people are buying clothes to go for travel, for the experiences, the things that we're spending money on now. Every, everyone already bought a dishwasher and a refrigerator. So the curious thing is when Target, Walmart, or some of the others are telling us they have an inventory problem, when you read the details, it looks like it's certain kind of um, idiosyncratic categories, like, you know, fleece sleepwear, for instance, or certain types of summer categories, things they're maybe packing up to just use next year. Why aren't we seeing a bigger impact in terms of demand for apparel and other imported items there? Because it really depends on what they're buying. You know, like if you go into, a, you know, a certain store, you may see certain items that you're like, mm it's not that cute or you're not really want to, you know, open up that wallet. But if you are going on vacation, you might want to get that new windbreaker. You might want to get a new pair of like hiking shoes. So it's that discretionary spending. Did what they buy hit the mark on the consumer? Where, what are you getting in terms of the sense overall from these figures? You know, if I were, you know, Jerome Powell, what is this telling me? It's telling you that people are not are being more selective in their in their dollars. You're spending more money on the gas tank, so you got to figure out, okay, if I'm really going to spend fifty dollars on something, what am I going to buy? So it's it's that it's that yin and yang where you're just not spending freely. You you're really thinking twice. The stuff coming in now is the stuff we're going to be talking about for back to school, but even more already for the holidays, right? Absolutely. I, I ch actually checked the bills of lading on Import Genius, and we're already seeing Christmas trees coming in, Halloween costumes. It's, it's all coming in right now, which is regular. This is seasonal, so this is already expected. Are they doing the same amount of seasonal, more or less? I mean, I can't imagine being somebody who runs a Home Depot or a smaller store and trying to figure out how much of this inventory, trying to figure out what shape the consumer is going to be in between inflation, recession, massive rate hikes, changing preferences. I mean, how would you possibly figure this one out? You know, it's hard. I, I recently spoke with the CEO of Tractor Supply about this because everything's truncated. And so he started looking back, you know, when it came to various things in the supply chain about like six or nine months ago. So you just have to kind of look at what you're buying, like, okay, I'm going to look at the higher priced items. Is it okay to put this in? If there's another item where maybe it's kind of squishy, you don't know if a consumer is going to buy it, you hold back on that. So they're really kind of picking and choosing as they move forward because it used to be six months to plan ahead. 
Now they're looking at maybe three months. Oh, wow. So does any of this tell you recession yet? Anything like we've seen in prior downturns? When I, when I did speak with the CEO, he said that he's seeing inflationary pressures at least till next year this time. Hmm. So he thinks that, that we're going to see inflationary pressures over the course of the next 12 months. I think it really depends on the consumer, how much money you make, as well as how much you know, you're willing to spend in, in parsing all those dollars. And on top of everything else, we have, as we talked about a moment ago, labor shortages and yeah. pressures. There's a major labor contract at the West Coast ports that's coming up, right? What, are we, what should we expect there? Well, we already know, based on uh, a, a previous announcement, that they're not going to make the deadline. Uh, the, the labor negotiations, which expire at the end of this month. But they did say, don't worry, we're not going to be striking, don't fear. But because of this, you have severe congestion. We have a new supply chain heat map for you. And you literally see the congestion building up on the East Coast. Now, this was expected. I've been on here before talking about you have seen that flow of trade moving. But, you know, thankfully, these ports on the East Coast are able to move the product out faster versus the West Coast. But at the Port of Oakland, you have one terminal that your import containers are waiting almost 24 days wow. to get through the port. So there is a lot to kind of wrap your arms around in the logistics world. And maybe a new wrinkle there on the labor front as well. Absolutely. Lorianne, as always, thanks. Dogged reporting on this issue are Lorianne LaRocco. We've got some more breaking news out of Washington. The House just passed bipartisan gun legislation after the Senate passed it yesterday. Now it heads to President Biden's desk where he's expected to sign it into law. The president calling it the most sweeping gun legislation in decades, saying he's glad Congress is, quote, finally doing something. Coming up, crude prices well off their highs, but still above $100 a barrel amid tight supplies. And according to one energy investor, things could get even tighter. The bull case for energy next. Welcome back to The Exchange. The White House making a big push this week to lower gasoline prices with a national gas tax holiday proposal and asking oil companies to ramp up supply. But my next guest says supply will be outstripped no matter what, and any government interventions could increase demand, make things worse. Joining me now is Stan Major. He's portfolio manager of the Hotchkiss and Wiley Midcap Value Portfolio. Stan, welcome. And I'm especially glad that you're on today because sentiment and energy has gotten really bad over the past literally like 10 days. So why should investors not jump ship here if they haven't already? Sure. It's great to be here, Kelly. When you think about the energy situation, uh, there really is no long-term solution uh, that's been proposed. So uh, I, I thought it was interesting the other day, uh, Mike Wirth, the CEO of uh, Chevron, wrote a letter to the Biden administration. I'm sure it was heavily lawyered. A lot of people looked at it. Um, one of the things that was striking in that letter was in the first paragraph, he said there aren't any short-term solutions. And I agree with that. There really aren't any short-term solutions to the situation we're in. The market is very tight. Um, we're either slightly undersupplied or slightly oversupplied. But the real issue is longer term. Um, everything that's been proposed, whether it's uh, an export ban, uh, windfall profit tax, drop in gasoline taxes, uh, some of those will make the situation worse. Um, but really, there's been nothing proposed for the long run. And that's that's what's concerning. The bears will say, OK, we had a 40 point rally in energy and now we have signs of a correction in inflation and, you know, to some extent, kind of like a healthy normalization of the of the environment, maybe recession. Um, why couldn't we have an oil price in the 90s, say, instead of upwards of the 100s um, from here? Is it, where do you think the price clears for the supply and demand that you're seeing? 
Sure. So when we think about what what the fair price of oil is in a balanced market, we use $65, $70 a barrel. So well below where we are. Um, the issue is how do we actually get there? Um, historically, when you look at commodity markets, uh, the way a commodity cycle ends is generally too much supply. So producers become overly optimistic. If you look at the last time oil was $100 a barrel, uh, producers, management teams were very optimistic that uh, growth in China, emerging markets, uh, there was an insatiable demand for oil. So any project they could put on was going to work in the long run. So they were doing oil sands projects, deep water, uh, exploring in the Arctic, et cetera, anything to bring oil on. Today, it's the opposite. No one has any confidence in the long run. That's really difficult uh, for the energy business. It's a depleting business. These companies are on a treadmill. If they don't spend, production declines. And when we look around the world, uh, deep water or offshore is about 30 percent. Uh, there's not a lot of exploration going on. Sure. Uh, Russia's in the news, that's about 11%. There's probably going to be a smaller market for their crews. They're probably not spending a lot of money in the U.S. Uh, there's there's growth, there's some drilling, but it's just too small. What about refining? That's what Dan Jurgen really put a spotlight on yesterday, and we all know it's contributing to higher gasoline prices. Um, would I, as an investor, want to own the refiners here if there, you know, sounds like there's not going to be any significant expansion in supplies for some time? Yeah, I mean, the refining market is tight, and it's, you know, why? It's because refineries closed down because the expectation was there wouldn't be enough demand. Um, the difficulty with the refinery is it takes a long period of time to, to build a refinery. Uh, you have to expect that demand 10, 20, 30 years from now will be there. Um, so there's just not a lot of uh, short-term investment that you could put in there. Um, eventually, we think the refining market does get sorted out, but that will take a long time. How long? And are the names that you like still names that we, you and I have discussed in the past in this uh, space, like Cosmos and Barry and Ranger Oil? Sure. Um, we favor the exploration and production stocks. The, the, the investment thesis is pretty straightforward. Uh, if oil prices were to crash down to what we think of as a fair price, 65 to 70, uh, you're getting some of the most undervalued stocks in the market. So they would have 10% free cash flow yields. If uh, the situation persists and we have a very tight market, which we think lasts for a long time, these companies are generating 25 to 30% of their market caps uh, in free cash flow. What are they doing with that? They're buying back stock. Uh, there just isn't enough stock for them to buy back. After a few years, they would have bought back theoretically every share uh, that's outstanding. All right. So political risk, uh, demand being what it may, you're sticking with the space. Stan, thanks for coming on to make your case. Thank you, Kelly. Stan Major with Hotchkiss and Wiley. Still ahead, Revlon filing for bankruptcy last week, but it may soon have company. Why retailers could be facing a wave of bankruptcies and the names that could be next. Welcome back. Revlon filing for bankruptcy protection last week, and it may not be alone. CNBC.com's Lauren Thomas is here now with why there could be a wave of retail bankruptcies and the names most at risk, Lauren. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kelly. So Revlon's bankruptcy filing last week 
That was just the fourth retailer to file bankruptcy so far uh, this year. And that's the lowest point um, in total count of bankruptcies that we've seen at this point in the year, about halfway through the year, uh, in over a decade. So how did we get here? Uh, If you remember back in 2020, we saw a massive pull forward of bankruptcies, particularly in the retail space. You know, as consumers pulled back on spending dozens of bankruptcies, uh, many of them, names like Neiman Marcus and J. Crew, um, had also been weighed down by debt from leveraged buyouts. So because of that pull forward, 2021 and the start of 2022, we've really seen a slowdown. Uh, now, like you said, you know, questions are really arising around when could we see more? Is this number about to tick back up? Uh, and what could be the factors to cause that? Really three things to watch. Uh, the first one is, for the most part, this window of opportunity that companies had uh, to tap into the debt markets has largely closed, uh, from what I'm hearing. Um, and the second thing to look for uh, are continued supply chain issues. So when you look back at Revlon, sure, this was a company that was saddled with about $3.4 billion in debt, uh, but it also cited in it's filing a number of supply chain issues. It couldn't get its hands on raw materials used to make its makeup products. And the third thing to watch, and this will be particularly important around the holiday season, uh, is just consumer demand. You know, where are people shopping? If we see a pullback in categories like home furnishings or apparel, then you can anticipate after the holiday season that those are areas where we could see more distress. Yeah, and so it's interesting, Lauren, that you say it's not necessarily just the uh, the, the sort of um, looming uh, debt. I'm not trying to say it's not just the debt that it, these companies have maturities. and the financing yeah. profiles exactly, exactly that's the issue so much as spending trends. So retail, home furnishings. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's particular companies we can even single out here, but what are some other places to watch for the next shoes to drop? Yeah, exactly. That's again, those are categories, whether the home goods and apparel in particular, I think that's where you just see still a surplus of retailers, also retailers that have a lot of real estate. That narrative of just, you know, America being very overstored, um, I still think is is true. And of course, companies can use bankruptcy as a tool um, to break leases. So that's something to, to watch for always, companies that still have a lot of real estate. Um, like you said, there are really not a lot of businesses within the the retail and consumer landscape that have maturities coming due in 2023, even 2024. Many of them use the past year or so to push out those maturities just because they could get debt, you know, for, for so cheap and were able to strike those sorts of deals. Um, you know, if you look at where the ratings agencies, you know, they have lists of, of companies most at risk at def- of default. Um, some names on that list are Rodin and Fields. You know, the, the marketing beauty business um, has been named a few times. Uh, also, Serta Simmons, you know, a mattress maker. It's really all over the place, though. I think it's, it's company by company, you know, dependent upon um, how much debt they have and, of course, you know, the, the, the health of their balance sheet. Yeah, but it's a great point that it has been oddly quiet on that front lately that we might not hear of anything in the near term or maybe that lease renewals, for instance, could be a trigger. Lauren, uh, thank you. We appreciate it very much today. Our Lauren Thomas keeping an eye on retail. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day. Same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. 
FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. 